Bring it on, Monty. Bye, Monty. Welcome to Wiggly Wigglers podcast number 21, brought to you direct from the sitting room at Lower Blakemere. Yippee! Brawless in Belfast is back! Indeed, yeah. yeah it's nice to see you. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to see you when I got back. Novelty's wearing off now. I again. suppose so, yes. <laughs> this is warmer here today than it was the last time we did a podcast. Well, what do you think of your name? Your new Brawless name? in Belfast. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's really, really good. It would be more appropriate to call me Legless in Lurgan, though, because I, oh. I was about 25 miles outside Belfast. Bit of the Guinness, was it? Yeah, lots of Guinness. <laughs> you got to drink lots of Guinness when you go to Ireland. It's obligatory, I think. Yes, yeah. I suppose so. How much did you drink? Lots. Right. <laughs> you were there for a whole week. Yeah. Tell us a bit about it before we get on to the nitty-gritty of this week's podcast. I went over on the Sunday night and arrived at my digs about up as 10 or something. I walked in and the landlady came to the door and greeted me. She was so lovely, just the sweetest person. And I said, right, I was, you know, I was quite thirsty. So I said, what, how far up the road are the pubs? She said, oh, I'll take you up there. And she said, I'll take you up the pubs and I'll show you where you'll, where you'll be working as well. Because she knew you know, the nursery that I'd be working at. So I got in the car, went up, showed me where the nursery was, showed me a few slogans, you know, kind of. And, uh, and dropped me off outside the pub. So I went in there and had my first pint of Guinness for a long time because there's no point in drinking Guinness in England. It's a waste of time. That was really, really good. Yeah, walked home and then started work on the Monday bright and early with a clear head. Great, it was a great experience because I met such lovely people, you know. It's one of those times that you go away and you have a, a brilliant week on the basis of the people that you meet because they were so friendly, so nice, such decent people, so welcoming. And I managed, I had a couple of guys working with me who were kind enough to help out. We put in some hedging that we sent over from Blakemere and some nice lovely bark chip, windy bark chip paths and a lovely teaching area in the middle again, all using lots of bark chip because, of course, bark chip is really good. Even though you have to replace it, it's because as it decomposes, it puts nutrient back into the ground, whereas, of course, gravel doesn't do that. Gravel deteriorates, and obviously the aesthetics of gravel deteriorate. You have to replace it, and it's much more expensive and obviously got the environmental implications of quarrying and whatnot. So bark chip is the best stuff to use for paths really mulch is lovely around the hedges stop the grasses coming up through the hedges so we did that and put in a, a lovely wildlife pond as well and then you commented on the fairy that i put next to the wildlife pond as well didn't you because there was a nice little statue of a fairy mm. that uh, i know you I like thought i know you like those things in. <laughs> I thought it was great. It was in completely the and wrong place in the garden, it. so I brought it up and stuck it next to the pond. It was great. And everybody thought it was lovely, me included. Excellent. <laughs> and we planted it with lots of yellow flag iris and water ravens and water mint and some lovely marsh marigold, purple loose strife. Beautiful. So in actual fact, when I left it, it looked like a swampy wasteland. <laughs> Just mud and mud and mud because it rained the whole week I was there. But in three months' time, the colour and the insects that the, those plants were attracted will be beautiful beautiful sight and uh, Fiona who's the head teacher of the nursery will send me over some photographs and and keep sending me photographs as, as the site develops so here we go over to a few little highlights of Richard talking about dragonflies to all the children of Drumnamo Nursery School Lovely. in Lurgan <laughs> that's good lots of lots of laughter well we've come down uh, into the garden this is the culmination of five days work I haven't quite finished it, but we've put in some paths and bark chips and planted lots of native hedging. And all these, all the children are sat down on the picnic benches in the middle of the garden. What's your name? Amy. Amy. Um, what do you think of your little garden now it's been changed a bit? It's a bit muddy, isn't it? 
Yeah. Do you guys like the mud? Yeah. yeah. It's great fun in wellies. You've all got your wellies on, haven't you? All pink and purple and polka dot wellies. So where are you sat now? What are you sat on? Tables. Tables, yeah. These are picnic tables, aren't they? Are you going to come down here in the summer? Yeah. Yeah? And you'll be able to eat your lunch down here, won't you, in the summertime? You can't, you can't get down. <laughs> That's right. What do you think of your pond? It's kind of lovely. It's kind of lovely, yeah. It's kind of muddy at the moment, isn't it? What it'll look like in, in about four months' time, there'll be loads of lovely yellow and red plants all the way around the pond. Irises and water lilies and all sorts of lovely things. And hopefully you should see some dragonflies. Do we know what dragonflies are? No. No? Anybody seen any dragonflies? Have you been up to the lock and seen any damselflies or anything like that? Did you? Yeah. Big ones? So you might see a few more of those. And on this bank over here, you see this bank here? Yeah. That's going to be sown with wild flowers. So even though it looks like a right muddy state at the moment, in a few months' time it'll be covered in lovely flowers like corn cockles and corn marigolds and poppies. Does everybody know what poppies are? No. You've seen a bird? Yeah, there's a few birds about. What type of birds are these? Flying birds. Black birds. And white birds. Robins, yeah, yeah. And you see these seagulls and they're rooks and things like that, aren't they? Oh, you see them growing up. You see them growing up. Yeah, flying and feeding, and you'll see them in the pond washing and drinking and all sorts of things soon. Did you? Was he sleeping? Probably hibernating for the winter, I expect. When Rach phoned you to see how you're getting on, because we had lost you a little bit. Yeah. We'd lost Bralus in Belfast for a good three days. Yeah. She said that you were so busy because you had to stay late that night because of the pond. Yeah. Well, we, we, we decided we should get the pond in within the first couple of days. Because, you know, with ponds, sometimes that, you know, when you start to manicure them and things, you kind of run out of time. And obviously, I've got a window of five days in order to do all this stuff. So we put the pond in, and there was a moment where it stopped raining for a couple of hours. So we were digging up all the turfs and eventually found a mattock. God, mattocks are so difficult to get hold of in <laughs> Ireland. But it's like an essential tool if you're digging a pond by hand, because you can really chip away and get the shape just perfect. So we chipped away and got the pond out. And of course, it's getting dark. I mean, I couldn't have left it without the liner in there because in actual fact we had torrential rain that night and it would have filled the ground up probably better put the put the liner in so we carried on we worked and we got the liner in got the geotextile in got the butyl in got the geotextile on the top what I did have to do, unfortunately, is I had to get a load of topsoil, which isn't the best to put in a pond because of all the nutrients. Yeah. But because of the subsoil that I was digging out from the pond was so full of sharp stones and glass, ah. I couldn't put it back in. So I had to use some topsoil. But I did mention them to them that because we'd use topsoil, the chances are they'll get some mad algae blooms in the summertime. But not to worry. Once the algae blooms got gone, that's it. The nutrients taken care of anyway. And once we put in a load of hornwort and some lovely alba, so once that starts to thrive in there, that'll compete sufficiently with the nutrients to stop the algae blooms. Pop any barley straw in? Didn't put any barley straw in, no. Because I said what we do is if they do have filamentous algae in there, then we'll send them over some barley straw. But having said that, they know of some farms locally where they could source some barley straw. Brilliant. And that, you know, and that's something that the kids can get involved in as well. So you're stuffing some onion sacks with barley straw and yeah. popping them in the pond. Lovely.
This week's show, we have Phil coming to explain the tea sum to us. Have you heard of the tea sum, Rich? No, I haven't. We talked so we'll find about out about that. He's been benchmarking his cows, right? which just boggles the mind. Yeah. We have Ricky coming to talk about some veggie books that she loves. Yeah. Monty's coming in with his wormcast, and of course we have Alison in with Plant of the Week, which is dogwood. Good stuff. Phil, before we get on to all that... You've been listening in to Kate Humble. <laughs> I want your job, Humble! <laughs> it's me! Yeah, I could see you doing that kind of thing. Anyway, back to Kate Humble, who is fantastic. Well, you well, like her, don't you, Phil? Yeah, she's very nice. <laughs> and Rich, you, Rich? Yeah, yeah, top babe. <laughs> Rich and I felt we might trade you in for her. Oh! <laughs> yeah, we, is that right? It's fine. <laughs> I don't mind at all going off with Bill Oddie compared yeah. to you two. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Rich, it might work. <laughs> <laughs> now, all it was was sadly, um, it seems that we're going to have to address the threat of bird flu and all the, the press are throwing at us on that. And I caught a little bit on breakfast television the other morning with Kate Humble, who was basically explaining why the summer migrants that come to this country are not a great threat to us in terms of bird flu and the importance of keeping feeding the birds in the garden as this has no effect on bird flu or the likelihood of any birds catching it or even it spreading to other species. One point that I thought was important, she said that summer migrants tend to come up what she termed the East Atlantic Flyway, which is a route up the west coast of Africa from South Africa, sub-Saharan region, up the side of Africa, over Morocco and straight up over France. And this isn't coming from areas that are rife with bird flu, although France appears to be detecting it a bit. Her point was that in feeding your birds in the garden, as with dealing with any other pets, the dog, the cat or whatever, you should wash your hands because birds carry various diseases and that cleanliness is beneficial to both the humans and the birds. So keep the bird table clean, keep your hands clean and keep feeding the birds. Makes perfect sense. Thank you. It's lovely to have different members of the Wiggly team in. It is. And this week, we've got Ricky. Hello, Rick. Hello. Tell us what you do at Wiggly's. I'm in the packing shed, and I'm responsible for having the orders down from the office and putting the orders together, hopefully everything in them, and sending them off to the customers. So if, Mrs Smith, you haven't received your moisture mat in with your can of worms, you need to contact Ricky. Yes. <laughs> Ask for her by name. <laughs> yes. It's your fault. Ricky in the packing chair. I do have a blonde moment now and then. Actually, <laughs> she's very good. It's very rare it happens, but, you know, just yeah. occasionally. Just occasionally, yeah. yes. Yeah. So who do you work with down there? Sylvia, who's on the post. Yeah. And she does all the postal orders. And then we have Wendy, who works every day with me. And Anne, who comes in a few days a week. Mm-hmm. We're on the packing side and Sylvia on the post side. Mm-hmm. And then we've got Noel who gets all the worms ready for us. And then Maggie in the painting shed who paints all the beehives. And you refer to yourselves as mushrooms, don't you? We do. Why is that, Ricky? Because we're often kept in the dark <laughs> of what else is going on at Wiggly Wiggly. Yeah, well, that's, that's the same for all of us. <laughs> Oh, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're not exclusively kept in the dark. Oh, know. good. The thing is, it's all such a mystery that <laughs> none of us know. No. 
Well, it's nice that you've come out of the dark yes. and up to the sitting room. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Because we've got three super new books in this week. I'm really interested in cooking and like trying new recipes. And I can honestly say these books are all worth buying. And I should be buying them for my collection. Oh, it's a sales talk on, on yes, the podcast. I'm I think, think we'll have so. to ban her. Darling, one mustn't sell. <laughs> yeah, I know you're into cooking because of the gorgeous cakes that oh, you occasionally yes. make the Wiggly team. Mm. What um, are your favourite recipes in the oh, cake department? Uh, carrot cakes and chocolate cakes. I'm trying to find the ultimate chocolate cake mm. that everybody enjoys, so I have to use the Wiggly team as guinea pigs really yeah, to it's taste such them. such a shame, isn't it? Mm. Very difficult. We've got some lovely cakes, haven't we? Oh, yeah. It's just a shame I have to pay a pound for a slice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's so tight. Unfortunately, is... it's Wiggly policy. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, yeah. pay a pound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we make money out of that, you <laughs> see. <laughs> That'll be right. That'll be right, yeah. <laughs> Now we can sell cakes as well as books. <laughs> yeah. Naughty, yeah, naughty. Yeah. Right, so tell us about these books that you've got. The one is a vegetable book, Grow Them, Cook Them and Eat Them. I'm picking up now Charlotte Popescu, who also writes books on hens in the garden and eggs in the kitchen. Oh, does so she? So she's obviously into sustainable living, etc. And this vegetable one is all about the origins of the vegetables, how to grow them, the vitamins they contain, which, you know, is useful to know, isn't it? Yes, but what you really wanted was the vodka recipe, wasn't it? Well, that's in the fruit one. Oh, is it? come to that right. one later. Right. And there's lots of vegetarian recipes and I feel there's a lot of vegetarians around now and you can always add meat to those sort of things if you want to. I found quite an interesting thing about carrots. Go um, on. They originated in Afghanistan about 5,000 years ago and they were purple, white, red, yellow, green or black but not orange. Do you know, I think I've heard that but I really thought that they were Dutch. Oh, well, hence, hence William of Orange, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. They so. uh, developed the orange carrot to be patriotic, the Dutch people. That's right. In the 1700s, which I there didn't know. There you go, see, yeah. Mm. No, that is a bit of that. It was stuck in the back of my psyche, you know. I've mm. just, just come to the fore again now. It's lovely that it's back. <laughs> Can you add anything to it? <laughs> no. Nothing. <laughs> I knew that would happen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lots of recipes in there. Um, I've tried the curry parsnip soup, which is delicious. Really? Um, and the parsnip cake. What page is that on then? Curry parsnip soup. Got it. One, two, four. Perhaps next time we have a staff party, perhaps we should all go around to Ricky's place. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> have a mad feast. It's all done in different sections. You've got a section of potatoes, a section of parsnips. It's just really well laid out, this book. That's really good because if you've got those in season, you can just go to that section Mm, and just pick it up. And in the back, she's got a small gardening calendar, month to month, sowing and harvesting. And it's got sweet and savoury recipes and it's just a really good little book. Lovely. Well, if you could leave your £8.75 on the table yes. before you go out, madam. <laughs> <laughs> and what else have you got? She also does another one, which is Fruits of the Hedgerow and Unusual Garden Fruits. And, and now we're on about vodka. Blackberry vodka. Mm. Ricky has a certain love of vodka. Yeah. Wow. Sounds good I to me. I do. So what page are we on? We're on page 21. 
Right. So this gives you a real opportunity to go out and pick wild fruits. They're not yes. going to cost you anything. And yeah. I've got grandchildren and it's a nice, you know, to take yeah. them for a walk and point out all the wildflowers, what they can eat and what they can't eat. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then you give them blackberry vodka. No, yeah. I don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just a bit worried you have to wait for three months. Oh, this. yeah. This is just like slow gin. but Yes, yeah. that's right, yeah. Cover it and shake it, and then you put it in a cool, dark place. Oh, I see. So you're putting the blackberries into the vodka. Yeah. 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 So there's a bit of effort involved, but we haven't tried it yet, though, Ricky. No. Are you going to try it this year? It should be well worth the wait, I Uh, think. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, we look forward to that. There's lots of sorbets and jams and jellies in here as well, all using things from the hedgerow. Is there anything about rose hips in there? Yes, there's rose rose hips, hips. and also mulberries. Now, I'd never tasted a mulberry till last summer. They're very old trees, apparently, and we did a reenactment at Coughton Court. And What's a reenactment? I do medieval and Civil War reenactments battles, oh. which, again, this is coming useful because I do cooking on that as well. Oh, so yeah. you can go and Are collect you a royalist, then? I'm certainly not <laughs> a royalist. <laughs> Funny so the only royalist in this room. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you? I'm parliamentarian. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're at a reenactment. <laughs> yes, and there was a mulberry tree there, and... One of the people walking around said, oh, taste one. You put it on your tongue and it explodes. And it was absolutely delicious. And then did you go round and round the mulberry bush? Yes, until the chef caught us because he wanted them for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> We'd eaten most of them. So what does, it, what does a mulberry look like? It's a very big raspberry, really, that sort of colour, that sort of texture, and it was delicious. A bit like a loganberry kind mm, of thing? Yeah, yeah. but apparently the trees are very old. You don't see them many places now, mulberries. Right, mm. right. But there's recipes for that. And rowing berries off the mountain ash. Really? Yeah. Oh, what now do you do with those? We've got a tree in the field at the back of our house. So next time the rowing berries are out, I yeah. should be there. You can make rowing and crab apple jelly. Rowing and thyme mm. jelly, mm. too. There's loads of stuff in it. Yeah, it's a super edible, book. Yeah. It's a really nice book. So, you know the deal. I need the chocolate rating. Just to remind the listener, one to five, bad to good. Hershey's, ooh, ooh, it's horrible. Absolutely disgusting, salty, rank. Not chocolate. No, second Nestle. Third Cadbury's, it's okay. You know, produced in Herefordshire to a degree. Got to, you know, support the locals. Fourth, Galaxy. Oh, has to be the best. Is that your favourite? Oh, definitely my mm. favourite. But fifth, undoubtedly, Milka. Ooh. Mm. So... You'll have to stick to my chocolate scale because I'm in charge. Right. And keep butting in. Sorry, right. Tom. Sorry about butting in, Tom. What is the first book, Fruits of the Hedgerow and Unusual Garden Fruits by Charlotte Popescu? Mm-hmm. The rating. Out of ten? No. The chocolate rating. <laughs> oh, the chocolate rating. <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm going... Oh, it's got to be four. So it's a galaxy. Oh, definitely a galaxy. Lovely. Vegetables, cook them, grow them, eat them. Again, Charlotte Popescu. The chocolate rating, Ricky? Five. <gasps> it's a milker. <laughs> really? Definitely. I'm not sure about that. I think it's a galaxy, but... Mm. You, you, well, you've never given anything, credited anything with the milker yet, have you? Well, it's extraordinary milker. <clears throat> you know, that's a special treat, isn't it? I mean, you know, galaxy is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. As long as they don't put anything else in it and muddle up the flavour. But, you know, milker, I mean... <laughs> You can't have a normal rating as a milker. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just go along with it, what you say. Okay. 
I'm so sure once you've been into your lovely garden and picked your vegetables and used these recipes, you will put it up in your ratings. And we all know how good Heather is at a cooking. cooking. How she enjoys it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making a curry tomorrow. Oh, lovely. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. Okay. Cheers, Ricky. Richard. Yeah. Bring the competition on, boy. Okay. Well, if listeners from the week before last can remember, we we're having a competition, and the prize for the competition is how to be a bad bird watcher. That fantastic book by Simon Barnes. That's right. And in order to win that book, you need to email us either Richard at WigglyWigglers.co.uk or Heather at WigglyWigglers.co.uk and tell us what the Latin name for a robin is. We've had a few entries. But it's not too late. So, Latin name for a robin. And now we're going to the slogan. This podcast will provide pizzazz to your patio and productivity in your potato patch. The Wigglypodcast.com Wiggles. Phil, I want you to tell us about the T-Sum. The T-Sum is a device that we farmers use actually to time when we put our first fertiliser on grass fields effectively. The idea being if you put it on too soon the grass doesn't use it and the water will leach it away into the watercourses which is obviously bad and if you put it on too late you miss out on grass growth. And T-sum is a means of working out how warm effectively the plants and soil is and it's worked out starting from January the 1st you take the average temperature for each day so the highest and the lowest added together divided by two and you add them all up and when the total gets to 200 you've got to your t-sum and that is considered to be the point at which the grass is growing and requires food to grow and it actually gives you the date at which you can start to add your that's right you have to be a little bit careful because if you although they forecast the date at which that's coming if you have a cold snap for example, then the T-sum won't accumulate at all because your highest and lowest temperatures will be very low. And equally, if you have a warm week, the T-sum will accumulate very much quicker so that it gets more and more accurate the closer you get to it. If you try and forecast it too far away, the vagaries of the weather will muck it up a bit. Essentially, there's a grid over the UK. And when your T-sum comes over 200... That's when you apply the fertiliser. That's so right. that is when the plant begins to grow. That's right. It, it's when the plant sets off growing quickly in the spring as they do. It's woken up from the winter and it wants food and it wants to grow. So that if you apply fertiliser, it will use it. So when is the first tea sum reaching 200? <laughs> well, the warmer bits of the country, so around the sort of southwest coasts, Cornwall, Devon and a lot of the western coasts by the sea are already at T200 now and I was actually when when we were talking about this I I checked up they use the same system in America and in parts of Oregon which was where I found some information they get T-SUM 200 within a month of starting so that they're 26th of January they've reached T200 so that it varies all over you know depending on where you are but here we are realistically looking at sometime early March, late February perhaps, that we will get to T200 here. And as I say, some parts of the country have already got there. And what's the latest um, T-SUM forecast at the moment? So I suppose that's Scottish Highlands. I was going to say, once you get up to eastern Scotland and some of the cooler areas of East Anglia, 
their tea sun will be sort of on into the middle, perhaps the end of March in the case of Scotland. So for gardeners, you could actually use a tea sun yourself? I think it would be an indication. Obviously, it's based on grass growth. But within a spit, most plants that normally set to in the spring will start at a similar time. And, you know, you'll see exceptions, things like snowdrops, for example, which are probably using a similar system, but they are stimulated earlier so that they'll come out now. I mean, we've got snowdrops out now, haven't we? And they'll come out a few weeks earlier. But within reason, it gives you a good guide and you know which plants are early and which plants are late by their variety, which plant they are. And it's a good indicator of how the the winter will or has affected when they're going to grow. But if you're using um, manure, that must heat the ground up to some degree anyway. You'd have to put an awful lot on to make much of a difference. Although in the garden situation, if you put a very heavy dressing on a piece of ground, you know, with a view to digging it in to plant something in the spring, then yes, I think the mulch effect would keep the ground warm. And where can we get this info? The Farmers Weekly publish it every week and it's available on the Farmers Weekly website which is fwi.co.uk and that's where I get it from and it's probably the easiest for anybody. Anybody can go there and have a look. We're dying to hear how the heck you benchmark a cow. <laughs> so a what, have experience. Been, what have you been up to? <laughs> well the other thing that we've been doing this week is that the RMIF which is the Red Meat Industry Forum which is a group financed by the industry in form of the NFU, National Farmers Union, MLC, Meat and Livestock Commission, and our beloved DEFRA, the government. Um, they have decided... Into jargon, isn't he, right? <laughs> great, isn't it? <laughs> they are setting up groups all around the country of like-minded producers, not just of beef, but in our case of single-suckler cows, to basically put into a computer programme as many facts and figures as we can about our cattle and their production, the costs, the how much money we get for the produce, what sort of welfare standards we've got to, so that we can measure ourselves against our contemporaries in our area and against the rest of the country. And are you winning, Phil? There's room for improvement in some places. He's not then, is he? Um, and in other places we're doing all right. But... In many ways, if we thought we were perfect, there wouldn't have been a lot of point in starting. So what did you highlight? We highlighted several things. We highlighted the fact that we carry more cull cows than the average, or more barren cows, and the reason for that is partly sentiment and partly because the subsidy regime allowed us to do it. Basically, if a cow doesn't get back in calf without an obvious reason, a lot of people would send it away quicker than we would. We found that because we feed them for not very much money in the winter, we can afford to keep them on, give them another chance, because very often, if they just take a year off, they then will get back in calf and work perfectly well, and you get a much better result doing that than you do by actually buying in a new heifer. The prime example is we we had a cow that took a year off many years ago now, and she had eight first-class calves every year, one every year, after the year she took off. Well, if we centre to slaughter we wouldn't have had that benefit and all it cost us was one year's feed. I was interested in the results in terms of sales because you've always been quite vocal on your ideas about markets Mm. and stress on animals and perhaps it's not exactly the best way of going forward in lots of circumstances. How did it work out in terms of sales? We've only done the preliminary figures but it would appear that that is one of the areas where we're gaining, that we are getting a better price 
for our cattle and they don't go through the market and there are fewer costs associated with selling them privately and to some extent we've made up some of the losses that we incur by hanging on to barren cows and so on. The other slight negative of that year, the year to 2005, was that we had a higher calf mortality rate than I suspect we ought to have done and obviously some of that's luck, some of it's our error. So is um, that at birth or over Well, no, that, that included everything from cows slipping or aborting before full-term pregnancy right through at birth and then any calves we lost during their time with us. I've yet to find out whether the MLC figure that's in the programme is actually on the same criteria as ours, but that'll come as, as we put more figures in. Thank you. Great. It's time for Monty with his Wormcast. The Wiggly Wormcast podcast by Monty, a weekly fact on worms. Charles Darwin concluded that worms were sensitive to vibrations by placing his pots of worms on his piano when he played. This sometimes caused them to dash into their burrows. That was brilliant. Cheers, Monty. It's that time of the podcast, it's that mega moment, it's Al with her plant of the week. What Hello. plant have you got this week, Al? Dogwood this week. These are quite difficult to grow, aren't they, from seed? Um, they are quite tricky. You collect the seeds um, and then you have to treat it, take the outer crust off. And it has to have a long, hot summer of hot treatment. Right. Um, and then a real long winter of cold treatment before you can actually plant the seed. Yep. So in fact that plant here is three years. Wow. So it's so three it's a, years It's a making. miracle you've got any because how do you manage a long hot summer? We well, live in Herefordshire. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> put under heat treatment artificially. Ah. Yes. Uh, it's quite a tricky process. You what, don't get 100% germination. Does one mean the polytunnel? The polytunnel, <laughs> yeah, they can go in the polytunnel or in other methods under light, that sort of thing. Really? Yeah. So this dogwood, you brought it in, it looks quite a splendid little plant, doesn't it? And it really looks brilliant in a hedge. Can you describe it for us? Well, it's two years old. It's got a, quite a fibrous root system and the roots, you can actually, they have a real, quite a pungent smell if you like take a whaff of that rich. Yeah. And it's quite, the stems are quite red, um, not like the uh, hybrid of this, the um, red-stemmed one. This is a native one, the Cornus sanguinea. But you can, you can see it in the hedgerow as when you drive past. Cause it's just, this time of year, it's the only thing with a bit of colour, really, right. on the stems. It just right. looks a massive sort of burgundy red. Anna's been there. using lots of dogwood in her bouquets because it gives it colour in the winter. When we've got the winter bouquets and they're full of, like, teasel and, and greenery, the dogwood really lifts it. Yeah, I think she had the yellow dogwood. Ah. Um, it's, it's really quite bright yellow stem. And when it's... Because uh, dogwood looks great right the way through the year, doesn't it? I mean, it fruits as well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it starts off with clusters of cream and white flowers in the spring. Right. And then you have blackberries on a single head between August and October. And then the autumn colour of the dogwood is a mass of deep purple. It's right. a really good coloured one, this one. Yeah. 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 So the autumnal colours are lovely. And the birds love the berries. They really love them. Do they? Which birds love them? All sorts of birds. <laughs> you don't know, do you? <laughs> All sorts of birds. Birds in the thrush family. Blackbirds, thrushes. Can we birds. eat them or not? <clears throat> no. No, they're, they're mildly poisonous. I think if you eat them, they do taste disgusting to us, though. 
right. not palatable. So if you went to taste one, you'd spit it out almost immediately. But chances are, if you did manage to ingest one, then you'd probably have chronic diarrhoea and uh, gut cramps <laughs> and, and the like. I'll give it a miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But thank you. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> when do you plant them, Al? In the autumn, as bare root plants again. This one is a mix in a hedge. Um, you don't usually have all of dogwood like you'd have maybe all of hawthorn. Just have one or two every five metres, that sort of thing. Just to give the hedge a bit of colour for the berries, for wildlife and for variation really. Any uses of the wood? I read somewhere that it's good for carving because it's pretty hard. Carving? <laughs> it's a so it's only three centimetres wide. No. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah. a ring. <laughs> so what is dogwood? Is it, has it got any other uses? Well, I mean, there's a hedging plant. I haven't heard it for the it's wood. Really it's good. not like hazel where they used to use it for sheep pens and things. Okay, last thing. Why is it called dogwood? Is it because of dogs? Because dogs like the wood. Is Maybe. It? I don't know. Rich? No idea. I'll probably be barking up the wrong tree here. But... What an opportunity. If you know what it is... Email Richard. He'd really like to know. Richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk. If you want to talk to Al, email Alison. Alison at wigglywigglers.co.uk. Lovely, Al. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers, Oh, Al. we've filled the show this week so much. So it's a quick goodbye. And as we say in the office every night, toodle-doo. Do we? <laughs> Do we? <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> we just say, go now. Bye. We say bye. And you're still sat there at your desk. <laughs> oh, well, uh, Nikki and I do... Toodle-doo to each other. In fact, I think she says toodle-oo, and I say toodle-doo. So there you are. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Toodle-doo. I've never heard you say toodle-doo. As we say it, it's not toodle-doo. You know, those people in Hereford, they say toodle-doo to one another. You know, Everyone's going to be getting around. You're going to start off this whole new cult. Toodle-doo. I had the garage, says it. It must be all right. Oh, Nikki and I do it every night, but it must be a private joke then. She says toodle-doo, and I say toodle-doo. What can oh, I say, go. Michael? Did it finish or not? Hmm.